Listener Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It is the last day of the working week. It is Friday. It's my favourite day of the week. Yeah, it's the weekend, baby. Jan Fran is here. Jan, we've got a very interesting guest on The Briefing today, don't we? Yeah, an unusual guest. We're mm. speaking to an 86-year-old nun. There are short-term gains, probably, from continuing to mine coal, but politicians are supposed to be there to look at what's in the common good long-term and then to manage that. So that is an 86-year-old nun weighing in on the future of coal. Yeah, find out why in just a moment before we get to that, though. The big stories of the day. Well, the family of the woman who has accused the Attorney-General Christian Porter of rape in 1988 say that they support an inquiry into the circumstances surrounding her death. In a statement released yesterday, they say they continue to experience considerable grief and they're supportive of an inquiry which would potentially shed light on the circumstances of their daughter's death in June last year. Yeah, now this does come as New South Wales Police uh, release a timeline of their meetings with the woman. They say that they met with her five times between February and June of last year. They also say that she was the one who decided not to proceed with the case. So detectives did receive an email on the 23rd of June 2020 saying that she no longer felt able to proceed because of medical and personal reasons. This is an email from the woman. It is believed, though, that she died the next day. Yeah, wow. Tragic. The Prime Minister is still standing firm in his opposition to an independent inquiry into the incident. If you don't go too far from here, you will find countries where the rule of law does not apply. And you will be aware of the terrible things that can happen in a country where the rule of law is not upheld and is not supported in whatever the circumstances. The rule of law is essential for liberal democracies. Scott Morrison there. And it's an interesting argument. I think, you know, a lot of people would agree that, you know, we don't want mob justice. But the argument about defending the rule of law sits really awkwardly next to the High Court inquiry into former Justice Dyson Hayden last year. That was an independent inquiry, not by police, that found he'd sexually harassed a number of female staff. He denies the allegations. Mm. But the point is, there was no suggestion that that inquiry was against the rule of law. It was run by the High Court. Yeah, and there have been growing calls for an independent inquiry um, from Labor, from the crossbench, from the Greens, and now we have the family of the victim coming out saying they would support an inquiry as well. I don't believe that an independent inquiry goes against the rule of law. I believe an independent inquiry is actually part of the rule of law. It's not part of the criminal justice system and it doesn't involve the police, but it is a legitimate way of understanding what happened. Brittany Higgins is demanding an apology from Defence Minister Linda Reynolds for calling her a lying cow. Uh, the former Liberal staffer says the comments were incredibly hurtful. Yeah, now Ms Higgins revealed three weeks ago that she was raped inside Senator Reynolds' office on a night out in 2019. Um, when the story broke, Senator Reynolds referred to Brittany Higgins as a lying cow within earshot of her colleagues. Since then, uh, Reynolds has made a statement saying she wasn't referring to the alleged rape. Instead, she was actually talking about the account of the support that she was offered. Yeah. Uh, She is on health leave, Senator Reynolds, that is, as a result of this scandal. Um, The Prime Minister did have an interesting reaction to this one. Uh, on, On the one hand, he seemed to defend Reynolds, saying that the comments were made in the heat of a very sort of stressful situation and also in a private setting. But he was also quite critical of her. She deeply regrets it. They were offensive remarks. She should never have made them. I don't condone them. But what matters is that we continue to address the substance of the issues here. Yeah, so those comments were quite strong from the Prime Minister. 
Um, and it really makes me wonder whether he's withdrawing his support from her as the defence minister. So far, he's been really backing her. They were really strong comments yesterday. At the time of recording this podcast, Brittany Higgins herself is still waiting for an apology yeah. for those comments. I mean, I think coming out and saying categorically that she did make those comments and that they were inappropriate, I think shows a pretty significant withdrawal of support by the Prime Minister for Linda Reynolds. So you're right, there's a massive question as to whether she will actually come back from stress leave. And they did say that they might do this back in January. There was a warning and now it looks like they have. The European Union and Italy have blocked a shipment of COVID-19 vaccines headed for Australia. 250,000 doses of the AstraZeneca Oxford vaccine were blocked by the Italian government. It's part of a contract dispute between the pharmaceutical company and the EU. Yeah, so it has nothing to do with us really, but the European Union says that AstraZeneca basically failed to meet delivery targets set out in its contract with the EU. So it's not getting enough vaccines apparently. It stopped the vaccines headed for Australia basically in a bid to fill a shortfall in Italy. Um, Now, Mm. it's believed that this is the first time that Europe has stopped a vaccine shipment to a non-EU country after it basically gave itself the power to do that in January by tightening export rules. Um, I thoroughly hope this is not a thing, (laughs) this is not a sign of things to come and that the world doesn't squabble over lack of yeah, vaccinations. Vaccine war. Yeah, no. Last I don't, thing we need. That's I don't like that statement. I don't want to hear it again. All right. In a moment, we are talking to an 86-year-old nun about coal, believe it or not. It's a fascinating story. Uh, also, just want to remind you, if you want to get in touch with us at the briefing, uh, slide into our DMs. We'd love to hear from you, your reactions to the stories we're covering, as well as your ideas for stories you'd like us to cover. We're going to start reading these in the show, so you're going to hear your own ideas, feedback as part of the podcast. Um, so drop us a line. Eight students and a nun walk into a courtroom. Hang on a minute. Is this the start of a really bad joke? No, it's not the start of a bad joke, actually. It's the start of something that is uh, currently happening this week. So a group of teenagers and an 86-year-old nun are taking on the Environment Minister in the Federal Court. Fired up over climate change. What do we want? Climate action! When do we want it now? If no one will do anything, then we have to protest. We can feel that climate change is a pressing issue, especially in Cairns when the Great Barrier Reef is on our doorstep and dying. We've listened to the science, we learnt it at school, we're out here today demanding action and our government is not taking it. The case kicked off Tuesday in Melbourne. It's going to wrap next week. And today on The Briefing, we're going to find out how it's going and why it could have a really massive effect on the future of this country's energy policies. So a bit of background, the teens filed a class action against the Environment Minister Susan Lee in September last year. It was after she approved an extension to the Vickery coal mine in northern New South Wales. Now, they claim that if the extension to this coal mine goes ahead, it would burn roughly 370 million tonnes of carbon emissions over its lifetime and that by approving the project, Minister Lee is violating her duty of care to future generations. That's their argument. Now, these teenagers, they're not 18, so they actually needed a a legal guardian to bring this case in the federal court. So that's where Sister Bridget Arthur comes in. Hence the eight students and a nun walk into a courtroom, right? (laughs) Yeah. Now we're going to speak to one of the teenagers that is actually mounting the case. But first, let's go to Sister Bridget Arthur for a second. Sister, is it unusual for a nun to get involved in a court case? Uh, Possibly, although I've been in this position uh, a fair few times because I've 
I've done this kind of thing for asylum seekers. Right. It's not your first rodeo. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> so are you just chaperoning the teens or are you actively helping them make their case? What's your role here? My role is strictly uh, legal, really, uh, in that the lawyers make the case and, um, you know, uh, do all of the technical stuff. But I'm needed because young people can't represent themselves in court. So if you're under 18, you have to have a litigation guardian. So that's my role. And are you actively supporting their case? Do you believe in their case? Yeah, I certainly do. Yes, I wouldn't have taken it on if I uh, didn't. Scientists go on warning us of what's happening to the world as um, we watch it sort of die from lack of care, really. You know, then we're making these decisions on short-term basis rather than accepting our long-term responsibilities for the planet. So how did you all come together, sister? How did the teens find you or how did you find them and how did you all decide to go into this together? The young people were keen to take action. Uh, the lawyers were quite willing to take a case for them and with them, but they did need a litigation guardian and I don't know exactly how they <laughs> lighted on me, but I suppose they, <laughs> I suppose they saw that I had done this for young uh, asylum seekers uh, before, so I guess that they said, I will, we'll ask her. Right, so you'd actually never met any of the young people prior to this? No, no, I didn't know them. So you clearly believe in the fight that they're taking up to the minister about this coal mine. Are your values around the environment uh, something that you just hold personally, or have you taken um, the lead from the Pope? Because in his second encyclical, he focused on environmental issues. Did he influence you? Uh, no, I wouldn't say that the Pope influenced me in that way because I've long held that we have a, a, an absolute responsibility uh, to do something up to, you know, make sure that um, our globe doesn't become unlivable, really. I think it's as extreme as that. Uh, however, I was uh, pretty chuffed to see, and I'm often chuffed to see this present uh, Pope saying things that I think, are accepting a kind of a global responsibility or urging us to accept a global responsibility that's a bit rare in the world today. Yeah. So what's your personal belief about coal? Do you think that we need to phase it out? Yeah. I don't think there's um, any need to, to have coal uh, anymore. You know, it's clear from what the scientists tell us that renewables are the way to go in the future. I mean, there are short-term gains probably from continuing to uh, mine coal, but politicians are supposed to be there to look at what's in the common good long-term and then to manage that, uh, and they could manage it. This case is before the Federal Court in Melbourne this week. Can you tell us a little bit about how it's going so far? Well, I only really know but from talking to the lawyers and the, obviously uh, the lawyers on, on the side uh, that I'm on, uh, so, uh, but they tell me that uh, they're very happy with the way that uh, their arguments are being listened to and, yeah, they feel very positive about the, the case so far. Sister Bridget, it's kind of rare in my experience to hear a nun talking about environmental issues or, or any political issue. They, they often give the impression of being apolitical. Is that, is that a misperception of, of mine? Where do nuns normally sort of land on, on political issues? Oh, yes, I think it's quite a misconception. <laughs> my experience of uh, not just um, people in my own congregation, but uh, nuns generally, 
is that they have strong, strong uh, political uh, opinions and um, I think you can't have strong values without also uh, seeing how those values line up in the public sphere. So would you say that most nuns that, that you've been in contact with share your concerns about the environment and the impact of coal on it? Yes, virtually everybody. I hardly meet anybody who's, um, who thinks that, uh, you know, we're on the right path if we just continue uh, to do little about coal and, and other, you know, aspects of uh, what we're doing to poison the oceans and to do things about the rising tides, not do some things about the rising tides. And, and the, all of that's tied to uh, the well-being of people, of course, and, and it's also tied to my other major passion, which is about refugees, that we're causing people to seek refuge in other places simply because the places where they are are becoming untenable. Mm. It's funny because I went to a high school, sister, that was run by nuns and I have the complete opposite experience that Tom has. I find nuns to be very involved and very political, so I'm not surprised in hearing what you're saying. But your sisterhood says that it stands for social as well as ecological justice. What does ecological justice mean to you? I think ecological justice is about the you know, the well-being uh, of the whole planet, a recognition that it's it's a very beautiful globe and planet and cosmos that we've been given as human beings. We've been allowed to, to participate in. And justice means that we do everything that we can to respect the whole cosmos, that we don't do anything to harm it as much as we possibly can, that we learn to live with not only each other uh, in respectful ways, but that we learn to respect all other aspects of that uh, globe and the planet and so on. And what would you like to see the outcome of this case be? I'd certainly like to see a a lot more positive communal awareness of the fact that this is really about people in power protecting younger people. I mean, that's one level at any rate. Power and authority have to be used very responsibly and should always look at uh, what are the effects uh, for those coming after us, not just ourselves. That was Sister Bridget Arthur. Yeah, let's chat to Tom Webster Arbizu now. He is one of the eight students that is suing the Environment Minister. Tom, welcome. Sister Bridget, she sounds like a great advocate and also a guardian. How did you actually come across her? Well, we, we were very lucky to come across her. We were approached by, by the lawyers at Acre Generation um, and because as, as under-18s, uh, we cannot take a uh, case to federal court. And Sister Bridget offered to be, the, to be a litigation guardian. I cannot thank her enough for doing so. What is this case? What, what are you arguing in the federal court? So we're arguing, um, we're trying to prevent the federal environment minister from providing the final approval for the Vickery Extension Project. This project would produce... 168 million tonnes of coal over the next 25 years, which is a hell of a lot of coal and which would produce a large amount of carbon emissions, um, fueling the climate crisis. And our case argues that the minister will breach her duty of care to young people by approving this coal mine. So what is it about this particular coal mine? Why are you challenging this one? This case is just about this one coal mine, but the implications could be huge um, and that the approval for new fossil fuel projects could could be much more difficult. You said the flow effects could be huge. What sort of flow effects are you talking about? We're arguing that the that due to the climate change impacts, that the federal environment minister will be breaching a duty of care. And if we can create that duty of care between the federal environment minister and young people and vulnerable people, 
they will then have to take it into account when approving uh, new coal mines and other fossil fuel projects. So the people building the mine say it'll employ 450 people. If you were able to stop this mine extension going ahead through this legal action, what would you say to those 450 people that would have, would have had a job otherwise? As, as a young person, we feel concerned about our future currently. Um, young people like me, we could be in serious trouble um, if we don't curb our carbon emissions. Um, it will affect our health, the natural environment around us and, and the economy. And the environment minister has a duty of care to protect us from this. And it's why we're taking this legal action. And how's it been going so far? Well, I wish I had a crystal ball and could tell you whether it'd win or not. But <laughs> our, our, lawyer, our lawyers do, do seem very positive about the case. What are they telling you? They're, they're telling us that the, the judge seems very receptive to our arguments and, and we have some excellent barristers arguing our cases in, in the federal court in Melbourne. So, Tom, there's been other young climate activists taking the legal avenue in other countries, including that case in the Netherlands where a group of citizens used the court to force their government to make more ambitious 2020 carbon targets. Are you inspired by what other people have done around the world in the legal space? Yeah, this this case, it's about um, this, it's kind of this worldwide movement of of specifically young people taking taking the government to court over climate change impacts, and I, I always hope hope to see this, I guess, expand um, so so that we start seeing these stronger climate targets throughout the world. Tom, I'm just interested in why you've chosen to take the legal route here, because there are other ways of trying to make an impact, like protesting, lobbying, political advocacy, that sort of thing. Why go down this path? Well, as as a as an organised school strike for climate, we're constantly organising protests and speak, speaking with politicians, and we find that if you if we're able to make an impact through multiple avenues, that that, that is very very successful uh, in itself. And we find that this is in Australia quite a novel case. Um, there has never been a legal case like this before, and I thought that it would be an excellent excellent opportunity to to get on board with. That was Tom Webster Abizu, one of the eight teens taking on the environment minister in the federal court pretty interesting, Jan, to hear there that it's not just the legal avenue they're pursuing. Tom's also one of the organisers of the School Strikes for Climate, which is one of the biggest protests ever in Australian history. Multi-pronged approach. Yeah, they've got a really smart multi-pronged campaign. Yeah, I'm going to be watching this case pretty closely because I think it could have some really big implications and really positive implications that, you know, could reverberate around the world potentially. All right, that is the briefing for another working week. But do not fear if you cannot get enough. We have the weekend briefing tomorrow with Jamila Rizvi. Jamila, who do you have on this week? Tom, it is a pretty heavy conversation this weekend, but an incredibly important one. I caught up with Grace Tame, who is the 2021 Australian of the Year, and she is an advocate for survivors of sexual abuse. Grace herself was repeatedly raped by her 58-year-old school teacher when she was just 15 and a student in Tasmania. Her story is absolutely heartbreaking and her courage is awe-inspiring. So please make sure you listen to that one. All right, very timely guest Grace Tame on the weekend briefing tomorrow. Um, Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful weekend. Catch you later. Listener.